There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. An Erio's original... I'm just realizing a lot of things in this time about how like heavy my heart is. And I think it is because I've been marginalized, you know, and I've, I think I've compared myself to other people who seem to have a lighter heart and I've thought it was a failing in me. Hi, this is Margaret Cho. You're listening to The Margaret Cho. It's Pride Month. We're so proud. We're here. We're queer. We're proud. This is a special Pride episode, and we're speaking to Cameron Esposito. She is a great comedian. She is a really, really, really cool person, really cool author. She has a new book. It's called Save Yourself, and we are talking to her today. I'm so glad to be talking to you. How are you doing? Oh, I am doing... I feel like there's so many answers to that. Uh, yeah. That's one of the toughest ones right now. Of it's all the questions, that's one of the toughest ones. There's a lot to say. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. But um, in the basic, you know, and and I think for comics, there's another layer too of it. It's kind of like for me, it's very hard to even answer it because I am realizing how much of an extrovert I am. I never realized I was an extrovert. I didn't know I was one until I this this pandemic hit, and then I'm like. I didn't know I was an extrovert, and I now am grappling with the fact that I actually am one, and I hate it. <laughs> That's really funny. I, I am definitely having the same experience. I would have said, you know, I think if you're somebody who chooses this job, I think there's something to be said about, like, the amount of control that one needs in social situations. Like, hmm. I prefer to be uh, the boss of the social situations. I'm always working on vulnerability. That's not my natural state. Mm. Um, and I think that I had confused that with introversion with like being an introvert where I would have thought, like, I kind of like to be alone, but I don't think that's, I don't think that is what's happening. I think I, I think I like to be in the middle of the room surrounded by a bunch of people, even if I'm not speaking, like just the energy absorption is what I'm noticing. It's exhausting. Right. Right. It's hard. It's weird. Mm. It's it's like I, I I feel like and I think of jokes and I find them kind of melting away because I I don't feel like I can record them because I don't I don't feel like I want to capture them. It's like I feel like a mm. fisherman who's letting all of the fish just swim away. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing I've done twice now. I've done a full hour on Zoom. 
Mm, um, mm-hmm. with like a bunch of people. Like I think there were like over a thousand at the first thing, but they're all muted. And before that, this is another interesting experiment that I did. I was trying to figure out, can I record myself doing an hour of stand-up mm. and like put that out somewhere? Like, yeah. like, will that look like stand-up? Um, and I first did it just by myself, like in my house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I did it with a thousand people who I could not hear. Mm. And because I was trying to record it via Zoom, like the main face that I was looking at was also my own face. Mm-hmm. So in terms of in terms of situations, if somebody had walked into the house, it would have looked identical <laughs> both times. But my performance, when I knew, just knowing there were people watching, uh-huh. it was night and day. It was oh. it was a completely different. Like I, I watched the first thing back and I looked so depressed oh, and uh-huh. like really down. And then when I yeah. watched it back with other people there, mm-hmm. people I couldn't hear, like my timing was good. It was fascinating. Yeah. Did it feel like you had space though for people to um, react as opposed to when you were doing it, when you knew there weren't people um, watching? That's exactly it is like, Given the fact that I knew there were people there, I could do the mental substitution. Like mm-hmm. I've been on stage enough times to know how laughs work. Mm-hmm. But if there, it just helped with being able to imagine it. Like I yeah. could do it with the laughs in my mind, but not if there were no people there. Anyway, yeah. these are these are things we're finding out about ourselves that I never would have. How would I have ever known that? Prior to this. Well, I think that like my mind tends to be filled with so much negative judgment naturally that if I had uh, no um, nobody there, that I would fill it with some negative presence mm-hmm. so that it would just automatically be a bad time, you know, and that <laughs> I would just like negative project something terrible happening. And um, so like every time I've done a Zoom show, or an Insta live show, I've always projected a negative experience onto it so that it's like I'm bombing. And so then I always get mad during it. And then it kind of ends up funny because I always think comics are funnier when they're bombing. That's usually when people are their funniest because they start to like flail and, and desperately reach, which ends up being the funniest scenario almost always because in desperation we kind of bring out the best in ourselves so um i always like that (laughs) Uh (laughs) i mean margaret one thing that's funny about that is like i think that's kind of always how i'm doing comedy is in Mm. desperation because Mm -hmm. my my stand-up is i've been thinking about this a lot lately because i'm considering like this is so weird but in like i'm considering potentially going to divinity school. Oh, um, uh-huh. and mm-hmm. this is like part of my past that I was super duper Catholic, but then my Catholicism broke because I'm very gay. The Catholic church is like colonialism writ large. You know, I, yeah. when I realized what was happening for women, I was just like, I think I got to get out of here. But anyway, this is all to say, I think that I've always been doing stand up from a place of like, this is the stuff that matters to me the most in the world. Like, a minister or a preacher, you right. know, it's like always been life or death for me. And I've been yeah. noticing in this time that that's still how I'm approaching it. And I watch some folks who are sort of able to make what they might call jokes. And I'm like, 
I just feel like I've always been operating from like a perspective of like bleeding on stage, my most abject fears and traumas. (laughs) And I didn't realize how different that might be than what other people are doing. Like, I never yeah. noticed the contrast. And that, that's not negative. No, neither of these things are negative. No. I think sometimes I've actually had a lot of jealousy at somebody who can get on stage and talk about, like, bedhead or Doritos or whatever. I'm like, please, teach me your ways. But that's never <laughs> but, been me. No, but I think that that's also, like, the speech and pattern of privilege. Like, people who have the um, headspace to be able to talk of insignificant things also have, um, you know, they have the brain power for their mind to work on stuff like that because they don't have to worry about oppression or sexism or rape or fear or homophobia or um, disparity or prejudice. You know, like it's a very sort of privileged way of being when you have the the privilege to think about Doritos or bedhead because you don't have to worry about being murdered. (laughs) You know, like it's like, you know, it's a different kind of um, it's a different thing because you know what I mean? Like we actually do have to fear for our lives being othered. And so, you know, it's actually, you know, we're just we're not at fault because we don't have that, you know ability to do that it's actually better that we're doing what we're doing because it's more of a life-saving thing to talk about what we're talking about yes I think that I mean it really actually is moving to hear you say that because I think for me I think I I think I have compared myself and felt lacking what I think I have compared myself I'm just realizing a lot of things in this time about how like heavy my heart is and I think it is because I've been marginalized you know and I've I think I've compared myself to other people who seem to have a lighter heart mm-hmm. and I've and I've thought it was a failing in me. Like mm-hmm. why can't I synthesize all of this trauma into yeah. not into non-trauma? Like what's like yeah. what's wrong with me that I can't be I you know, know the floodgates? But I but I don't think that's an accurate depiction of what's going on. I think it's more what you're saying, you know, and I'm yeah. stepping into that feels like it could be some real freedom for me because I felt, I felt down on myself about this. Why can't, why do, why am yeah. I always making an hour of stand up about rape when this guy's making an hour of stand up about this? You know, why am I always, I like, I sometimes I feel bothered by my own seriousness. And I, I know I, it's hard though, because it's yes. like, it's like so hard to be burdened by identity in that way. It's like, we are so burdened by our place in society, but we just can't help it. And there's like so much to get out from underneath that it's like, we don't have that mental power to be able to like do the, that sort of the small things that, you know, the guys can do like the guys don't have to do like all of the shit that we have to do that the the women have like to do so much more. And then the gay women have to do so much more. It's like very, we have a lot more responsibility and that's unfortunate, but we just do, you know, and then maybe the generation uh, after us will have it easier. Maybe they can do less work because we're doing this now. Or maybe when we're older, we can do less work. (laughs) Right. I hope so. I mean, that's actually what a wonderful segue because I, I, um, I had a book come out. This is, I'm going to hold it up for you. It's called Save Yourself. 
And yes. you are in here, but I cannot find the passage. I was trying to page through it and find it, but um, I can't find it because I'm ill-prepared. But somewhere in my home, what I have is a copy of a book of yours mm-hmm. that um, I went to Brookline Booksmith. I lived in Boston at the time. Yeah, and yeah. And you were the first comic I ever saw live. You wow. were the first comic I ever saw perform live. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was so, I think it was at the Orpheum, if that's even a place. Anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, I remember that, yeah. I was so taken by the performance that there was like a, an opportunity to go to buy your book, pre-order your mm-hmm. book, between like like 12 and 12.15. It was like it was like <laughs> such a small window. And I like put it in my calendar. I mean, I was like oh. um, not yet at an age where there was anything else in my calendar. You know, like I was oh. like... like it was just like the whole week and I went and bought the book and it meant that I got to go to like this special signing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have this signed book from, you know, way back in a different part of my life. And I wasn't yeah. really into comedy. Mm-hmm. Like at that point, it was mm-hmm. I was into a lot of other stuff. And then it was just your book. I remember being nervous. Like, <gasps> what if she wants to be friends? I thought I thought to myself. What if she wants to be friends? What's the thing that I'm going to say? But of course, I now know that on the other side of things, it's like, you're not thinking about that. Life is very busy. Everything's going through. But I thought for sure one possible outcome was mm. what it, was that we would become friends, which is amazing because um, I think I wrote that in this book. And now I'm on now we are friends. telling you about it. <laughs> now we are friends. And this is that's wonderful. I was I remember. I met you actually. It was at um, your f- was it your first appearance on TV? The the yes. late night. It yes. was late. The late late show. Yes, I yes. did meet you there. Yes, which actually that's exactly yes. great memory. That is where we yes. met. Yes, um, because yes. that was a hugely impactful night in my life. So exciting! It was really like exciting. Afternoon. It was incredibly yeah. exciting. It was so like fun. A late night appearance that actually mattered also yeah. late night late night was different then you know yeah. there was there was such so fewer options for how to get yourself out there that yeah that was like very it, you know and it's always so stressful because it's like what the four minutes and like 40 seconds of jokes mm-hmm. and it's like six minutes of comedy really but it's like four minutes and 40 seconds of jokes and then it's like you're you're on it's like 4 p.m and it's so oh, no. scary and uh yeah it's like one of those things but you were you killed and it was like a really incredible set and uh who was it was like hugh um Darcy uh, was the celebrity guest, and then well, you and me, yeah. Also, uh, I met Jay Leno there. Like, I yes. guess it was like a Davis. very, you know, for me, I think maybe you had a very different experience. Well, I'm curious if you had a different experience. For me, like, coming from Chicago, when I started doing stand-up, it didn't feel like being a part of the in- the entertainment industry was something even to shoot for. Like, that started happening a little bit um, with folks like, in the generation before me, like a Hannibal Burris or Kumail Nanjiani were like starting to get on TV. But for mm-hmm. a long time, Chicago was just a live performance city. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like a place where then you thought you would move to Los Angeles and be on TV. I mm-hmm. think maybe San Francisco would have like a different vibe than that where like people are, I don't know actually if that's true. They're probably more ambitious. I mean, there was a sort of a trajectory that you would go like to LA and 
you know, you would start off in San Francisco and, that, you know, there was like sort of a pattern of people would sort of follow like maybe what Robin Williams did and like, you know, you do clubs and then you would move to uh, L.A. and then do do TV or whatever, you know, that that yeah. idea. I think because Chicago was such an improv based city, mm. some of the stuff that people were trying to do was like essentially all be on SNL. And then eventually over time, it became a city that was known for its stand-up. But it was really wild to me when I got out here that I would be able to be on TV at all. I really mm-hmm. thought it was like, maybe as a comic, all I ever do is just perform live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then one day die. You know, like I just thought that would be the, <laughs> the fullness of the career. Uh-huh. Um, so I think I'm also imagining that, that that day was such a big deal for me because I was, I was going to do stand-up on TV for the first time, which felt impossible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but so exciting, so exciting and so fun, and um, and such a big deal. Like you know, and uh, when was your first? Do you remember your first sets, uh, like live in Chicago? The first ones that you did? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, I started doing improv in college, and mm-hmm. I got my first job performing in improv the day after I graduated from school. So I was mm. immediately doing improv professionally. Wow. And then I moved to, I was in Boston and I worked at the two main theaters there. I was on the main stage of the like biggest improv theater in Boston, I think four months after I graduated from college and I'd never taken a class and I got fired um, within a few months because everybody was like my age now. Everybody was like in their 30s and 40s and had been working at this forever. And I was like 22 Uh and... The owner of the theater had to tell me that my shirts couldn't be crop tops. Like, that's where I was at. Everybody else was like, I'm 40 and I'm supporting a family. And I was like, I was wearing crop tops, Um, which at the time was not professional. No. Well, that's Um, weird. (laughs) So anyway, that's all to say I, uh, I moved to Chicago and I just decided I could sort of tell people I was a stand up moving to town. Oh, okay. Like I've never mm-hmm. done stand up, but I had yeah. improv experience and I just thought, yeah. I can just say I'm a stand up comic. Yeah. So, yeah. why not? I yeah. started my own show. Uh huh. And I'd never done stand up before. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that, like, you should have a microphone. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. It was yeah. just, it was just a show. And then I, MySpace was the place at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, like, looked up. Who are the best comics in Chicago? Mm-hmm. On you know whatever search engine was even feasible, and I invited all those people to perform on my show. And mm. so, like any person who started in Chicago that has continued to have a big career, performed at this show because everybody was looking for stage time, mm-hmm. and that those were my first sets. I was performing for the first time, um, microphoneless mostly talking about my dad yeah. and like then Kyle Kinane would perform or whatever. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I did a show with him on New Year's Eve. Oh, Aww. good yeah. old days. Yeah. New Year's Eve. <laughs> Aw, that's yeah. nice. Well, oh, yeah, that, well, the, the, there was like this sort of time where like improv and comedy, like when you're starting improv and comedy, they, we sort of mixed a lot. I was in an improv group when I started and, uh, we mixed a lot. So sort of, you could sort of say that you were doing both and it wouldn't really matter. You know, you were sort of accepted as both in the communities. Then, then there was like a great divide. There's sort of a big divide. I was going to say in Chicago. Yeah. In Chicago, it's very like 
you better know who you are and you better mm. pick one and like yeah. absolutely fuck you if you think you can do both. Um, so <laughs> well, I after a certain stand-up. point, then they yeah. get really divided. Like yeah. when you really start start to get like uh, on a certain level, then they don't mix. You know, when you start to sort of really make money too, like when you start to like make money at it, then you really don't mix. And then, 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 yeah. or, and then when you start, I think when you start to get even more uh, successful, then you start to mix again. Well, I also think the other, that's, first of all, that's totally right. But I mm-hmm. also think the other thing is that in that interim time, mm-hmm. um, there's like a personality difference that comes out. Yeah. I, I think that improvisers are usually people who um, want to play well with others and who... Yeah find other people funny in like an enriching way. I think stand-ups yeah. are tend to be extremely competitive people. Right. You know, there's no com every comic that is watching someone perform is off to the side. Maybe they're laughing, maybe they're saying that's good. Oh, that's good mm-hmm. with arms crossed, but the thought yeah. in the mind is always <laughs> jealousy. It's always jealousy. Yeah, it's, it's very always, jealous. It's always fuck you for having that joke. Yeah. Like I like I I used to have a show that I ran at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. There would always be an improv troupe like bef- before the show that would come they're high-fiving like that was amazing <laughs> when you did that. That was amazing when comics it's like you go up, someone else follows you, you fucking leave. Like I bet like you better not tell yeah. a joke that's better than me. I'm furious. <laughs> now I got to go home. I got to go catch a second set so that I can prove to myself I'm better than you. Mm, right like it's it's the most yeah it's so it's a different group of people right it's like an unhappy sibling relationship <laughs> it's like the uh, like competitive sibling relationship as opposed to like a supportive yes. sibling relationship you know yes. it's it's definitely um yeah it's toxic how do you feel about that at this point because because you also started doing stand-up so young you have like oh god such yeah. a large view more than most comics such a large view of the full thing how do you feel about that competition part I do really have compassion for it because I realize it comes from a lot of suffering and pain and and now I I do have more of a, a loving eye towards it but I do know that it just comes from this feeling of lack like there's only enough laughter to go around and that you know, that there's not this abundance of joy and laughter and that everybody can't have that or that everybody's only going to be like sort of there's this finite amount of jokes and the finite amount of mirth to go around. So that that's um, that's all that is, you know, when it's actually infinite, you know, and, and there's an infinite amount of jokes and laughter to go around. And so when you really believe that, then it, you're much more free to enjoy it and free to laugh. But um, it's a small mind that thinks that way in, in comedy. And, but it's full of small-minded men mostly and some women. A lot of the women um, in comedy are a lot like they have larger, um, larger minded. And, I, and then I find that um, I think most of the women that are uh, in comedy are gay or bisexual. And then they always seem to do better because they don't care about what guys think. You know, and that's always like a really important quality to get ahead. You know, I think when you care about what guys think, the guys will keep you down. Unfortunately. I, well, I, I don't know that anybody that is raised in this culture cannot care what guys think. Cause I have to watch that in myself. It's hard. Even, but I I think that, I think there's a huge gift for me 
because I was never trying to date within that community. And I think yeah. even if you're not trying to date the people in the audience or the specific comics on the show, if that's part of your mind, like if you can be rejected in that sort of fundamental way as a person, which is this like partnership sex way. Like I, I mean, I, I do think it's a big gift that I have not had to deal with that. Actually something that is a little strange though, is the other side of that where sometimes I have felt like men don't know what my usefulness is because it's Mm. not going to ever be fucking me. Mm. So then where would I be useful? You know, because we're all Mm. raised in a, sick culture we're all raised in a a patriarchy that is ill yeah so i understand where that's coming from but i do see it sometimes from guys yeah and that's my projection too it's like my projection is like where am i useful if if i think that you don't think that you can use me to be fucked oh my god (laughs) yeah so it's like it's it's like my projection of it too so that's right. Oh my God. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. We're all in the same. It's like, we're, we're all, all in, in this the same together. Yeah. We're all in this like really dysfunctional, toxic, like projection nightmare. But you know, it is, it is something that we're all working on too. And it's also their fears. And it, it's a very, it's a very sick game that everybody's playing, but we're all playing it. And it's like, how do we get over it? How do we stop? But what it's like, you- as I get older, it feels better. It feels, it feels better. How have you addressed that in yourself? Like, what have you done knowing that it's like this projection from you? What have you done? I just try, like, I try to just do it like, well, I try to heal from the inside, you know, whatever that looks like. For me, it's like different things, um, you know, like it's just like active, like working on myself and just try, trying to improve my outlook and um, trying to improve my attitude. And it's a very organic process. And part of like this quarantine is good for that, like, because it does make me really look at the way that I think and and the way that I live and the way that I approach all of all of the processes of life. And so that's the one thing that I think is good is that it's made everybody pause and actually actively look at who they are and be with themselves. And that's what's like maybe the positive thing of coming out of this is maybe we'll know ourselves better. And then maybe that's why all these people are so mad about like wanting to get back to work because they don't want to be with themselves anymore. Yes, I like so angry. I totally hear you. I mean, it is um, it is a certain kind of mental torture to not have excuses, you know, for why things are or aren't happening. Like some like some stuff is real that's happening right now. But because we're spending so much time with ourselves, because I'm spending so much time with myself, Mm -hmm. there aren't other people to look to, you know, this is why I feel this way or here's where this comes from. It's it's, it's coming from me. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I hear. And what you're saying is that it's, you know, it's not, it's a, I'm not driving and stuck in traffic and screaming at someone else. And I get to be like, fuck this person who cut me off. It's like, no, the anger, the discontent, the pain, all of that is, 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 it's contained right in this, right in this apartment. I don't even need to leave. You know, it's a lot to, it's a lot to realize what's there when things quiet down. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it is something that like, um, it's weird because our lives are so like always in motion that it's weird to stop. I mean, like you travel all the time, right? So it's like you're always moving. We're always going. Constantly going. Also, I usually do 37 different types of jobs. I mean, this mm-hmm. is like currently what you're doing. You know, like you, this is a job that's separate from another job that you have. I, I have mm-hmm. 9 million jobs that I do in a bunch of different locations. And mm-hmm. I often because I'm pretty like body aware person. I'm often aware of the natural stimulant that is the amount of work that I do and how and the yeah. type of work that I do. You mm-hmm. know, I always am saying to folks like after shows it's you're on drugs. Like I'm on drugs. Mm-hmm. Your body oh, yeah, yeah. natural. Your vision is different. Mm-hmm. Sounds are different. Everything's heightened. Your skin feels different. You know, sometimes if, if somebody would want to hug me at that point, it feels like, I don't want to be touched in a way that I'm like actually like a very squishy person usually, but it changes your whole thing. And so that's another thing that I'm really noticing is how my life feels when it's more level Mm -hmm. because I never feel my life in a leveled out way ever. Oh yeah. 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 I understand. It's like a, a, you know, because we're constantly like adjusting our levels of like dopamine and like whatever serotonin and adrenaline and it's it's like always up and down and it's you know like leveling out and you know the different people and like light and sensation and altitude yes exactly it's always so different yeah I mean even just like flying you know you're compressed and then you're relaxed Mm. and like just the the stuff that is physically doing to your body and right I think that that is a part of the job that I really love like that that there's a I'm comfortable in chaos. I clearly mm-hmm. like chaos. If you're the type of person who wants to potentially humiliate yourself in front of thousands of people, unless you do these things, you know, that's what, that's what standup always is, is you're like, yeah, I'm going to make sure I'm going to prevent my humiliation, but it could happen at any moment. You know, it's a very yeah. heightened way to live. Yeah, it is very heightened. I mean, I think the one advantage to, which is a weird side thing is I think that we probably have really strong immune systems. Oh my god, I hope that's true. I think that's because true. Of why you're t- why that's true. You know, because of all of the different kinds of microphones that we're oh talking into. Yes. Because they're all super germy, because comics are all dirty and disgusting. So think of all of the comics mouths oh, that have been all near I know. Like all of the filthy comics, all those gross dudes. Like all the different environments they've been in and all of the mouths that have been close to the microphone on their hands touching it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure that, you know, sometimes they clean them, but obviously, usually they don't. And, you know, every every like radio station they've been in and, you know, all of this stuff, like, you know, but also, you know, all the planes we're in, all of the hotels, all of the cars, whatever, you know. But I feel like we are really probably very strong because of the travel we do and the different environments we're in. So I think that's probably what's keeping us healthy. Wow, I am going to take that read and I'm going to internalize it. I'm going to just carry it through the rest of my day because that's got to be true. 
Why would that not be true? So. That's got to be true. Also, because just yeah, just the mics alone. Because I know you said you said you guess they clean them sometimes, but I have I don't think I have ever held a mic that didn't smell like breath, like just a <laughs> lot of breath, like different <laughs> breaths. <laughs> You know? I've seen them cleaned before, but very only a couple of times over um, the past 30 plus years. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen on a couple of occasions somebody take Listerine and wipe them down with a towel. Oh, but that's only been on a couple of occasions and usually in a music venue. Um, and I have seen a couple of comedians uh, different on different occasions bring their own microphone. I've seen uh, that, yeah. Which I think is probably wise. I probably think it will happen a lot more nowadays. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah. Also, okay. I mean, maybe I'll bring my own microphone. Because it does also, it it indicates to the the tech people at the very least, hey, I'm serious about this job. You know what I mean? Well, like, yeah. Listen up. I'd bring my own mic. <laughs> like, I just want a tiny, I can't wait to find out what kind of suitcase I have for it. I mean, it's going to be great. Like, um, there's a comedian named um, Rodney Carrington. He's sort of um, a cowboy. And he carries his uh, cowboy hat and a little cowboy hat like a carrying case. It's just a little, it's like a little like a, a, a little caddy case. It looks like a fishing um, case, you know, like you would carry your, your lure and stuff. So maybe it looks like that. It's a little carrying um, a microphone carrying, like a sure carrying case for your microphone. Absolutely. I mean, I I also think, well, so uh, I used to, for, for a brief period of time in my late 20s, I was a circus ringmaster. Mm. And the acrobats that I perform with, they would carry their trapezes. The only thing that is like the right size for circus apparatuses are gun boxes. So, like, they look like they're going to have two giant rifles in them. These huge, like, secured um, gun boxes. Because your trapeze is, like, you can't use someone else's trapeze. You have to bring your own. And it's really important Mm. that it stays safe because you're going to be dangling from that 30 feet in the air. And one time I was traveling with the circus, with the circus company. We were in a 14-passenger van and we were driving over the Hoover Dam. Mm -hmm. And this was, you know, it was like... Like maybe they still do this, but at the time they were checking all of the cars to make sure there weren't explosives mm-hmm. because the Hoover Dam is one of those things that like if you were trying to really fuck up the United States, blow that thing up. And so <laughs> state troopers open the back of a van and then the, the back of our van and I was traveling, it was me and seven acrobats and the back of the van was just stacked with these enormous gun boxes. And so the state trooper is just like, well, ladies, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't know what you're trying to get across, you know, I don't, we got, but I got to search all of these boxes. And so then what happened was all of the circus performers got down their, their gun boxes and opened them up and inside trapezes, which I think mm-hmm. is probably the one of the weirdest things that can happen to you if you're a state trooper that works that job. Like, I don't think that ever they yeah. open the gun box and see many <laughs> flying trapezes. Wow. They were like, what, what are the, what are these used for? And, um, people that I was traveling with literally just started doing the splits. 
Oh, wow. So somewhere there's a state trooper that has that story. That's great. That's great. Now, did you have a top hat and like um, one of those? Did you have a whip? No, that's like the lion tamer. So I didn't have a whip because we didn't have any animals, but I did have right. a top hat and I did have like yes. the coat with the tails. Oh, know, the red, like the red coat, the red coat with the tails. I had a, I had a bunch of That's cool. Coats. Did you also, have like a white the, um, rough thing? The white um, t- like a, I would wear like a tuxedo shirt or like sometimes I was doing a more steampunk vibe and I'd have like mm. goggle, you know, like this whole thing. I would wear shorts with fishnets and then I wore oh, like great. knee high boots and everything. That's and cool. Then also the, the other performers would do my makeup because I don't really know how to do even basic makeup, but they would do like a whole sort of a glitter, very intense eyes makeup. That's great. How exciting. That's really exciting. <laughs> That's like, um. well, so then that is like a stand-up comedian, like the MC. So you were like the, the ringmaster MC of yes. a circus. So that is a stand-up comedian's job. It was absolutely sure. stand-up comics. Well, because it was also a one-ring circus. So mm-hmm. um, in a three-ring circus, like the reason there are different rings is because they're setting up for the next act. And so they mm. move your attention over to this other area. But it was a one-ring circus. So mm-hmm. they would be setting up behind me whatever was going to happen next, like if it was a tightrope or whatever it was. And I would have to stand in front of it and try to be captivating while mm-hmm. like – People are moving large objects behind me, which was perfect stand-up training. Yeah, of course, of course. That's it was great. A fant- it was fantastic. That is training. so fun. It was so That's fun. That's really fun. So then you would just travel um, and then it was sort of like this. It was like a variety show, um, pretty much. Circus variety show um, performance. So like, yeah. did they have like, clowns and um, that kind of stuff? Yeah, the folks that were in it were folks who were... Like if you're, you work for Cirque du Soleil, but you're in between contracts or Mm -hmm. maybe you are with a circus that like is contracted to China for a while, but then you have to train so that you can make sure that you can do it while you're contracted on the road. And Mm -hmm. so it was a lot of folks like that. There were clowns that had been with Ringling Brothers or clowns that had trained with Cirque du Soleil. And it was just people like between gigs, Mm -hmm. keeping their chops. And so that, it, it was a... Circus of those people. So like there was like, um, so it was like trapeze and like contortionists, that kind of stuff? Or? Um, it was acrobatics. So like oh, yeah, yeah. people like like flipping in the air or climbing on each other's bodies. There was oh, a lot yeah, of trapeze yeah, yeah. stuff. There was tightrope walkers. There were people who oh, were yes. in like these big wheels. Oh, that, yes, like, yes. They're you know, flying around. Um, people that did, I had a roommate at the time and her job was she was a hair hanger. Which is oh, that you uh-huh. like tie your hair in a really elaborate top knot, and oh. then you put a metal ring through there, and the ring is attached to a cable that is on a motor. And so she would like fly up to the ceiling, and she would be hanging from just her hair, and then she would do like a bunch of different spins and stuff, things like that, chainsaw mm. juggling, things like that. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, um, my my job was you- I spoke words out of my mouth. <laughs> One time I did a pilot with some people. <laughs> it's really crazy. It was like an Amer- it was America's Got Talent, but it was all people like that. Like it was mm-hmm, chainsaw mm-hmm. juggling and it would probably have be like a um a hair hanging and um but also there was a eat glass. Yep. And yep. um 
the, the nails in the nose, nails in the nose, sword swallowing, sword, all that stuff. sword swallowing, yes. and that kind of. And it, I really, I got real. I couldn't handle it. I, I felt really. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I, uh, uh, five stars. Like I just gave everybody the top ten, <laughs> ten. I because I just wanted it to be done because I didn't oh want to see God. them eat any more tax. Like I felt so bad because it's like I thought that they all did a great job. I really was like, you're all great. <laughs> but it, I felt bad. Like, I didn't want them to um, be hurt because I get nervous. And I, then, I, like, because one time um, I, uh, when I was really young, I was doing this thing with these, uh, uh, it was a high school show. And um, well, it was actually younger kids, too. There was a trampoline act. These, like, three trampoline families, like, family. And um, one of them would, like, play this electric guitar. And then he would do flips and then he uh, pl- was playing it, and then he uh, impaled himself on the neck of the guitar, and it broke. No! So all the shards of the wood got in his stomach. No! And it was like blood everywhere. And then the oh. curtain closed, and they pushed me out. They're like, just go do some jokes. Just do some jokes. And then the curtain closed. And all the kids were crying. And I'm like trying to do jokes, and then the, the curtain <laughs> opened again, and he's like, Holding his stomach and like oh, everything's fine, everything's fine. My God, and, um, <laughs> the curtain closed again, and they're like, "Just cancel this. Just, the show's canceled. It's over. It's over." And he was not fine, and the ambulance came. So every that's like burned into my mind of like blood being everywhere. Like so, you know, those variety acts. It's scary. Yes, that first of all, that is so gnarly, and <laughs> and that is what. My experience, I didn't see anything like that, but my experience was that circus is one of those things, especially like a Cirque du Soleil sort of a thing. You're so far away from it usually, and it's so deliberately lit, and everybody's got sparkly costumes on. When you get much mm. closer to it, you realize like everybody is bleeding. Like everybody has like calluses. Mm. Like this mm-hmm. like really hurts the stuff that they're yeah. doing. Like it looks yeah. so beautiful. And part of the skill is that they're like, you know, smiling. It's right. like when you see a ballet dancer's feet for the first time and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, you don't have any toenails. You know, like it's like that yeah. thing where you realize like, oh, this like this is fucked up. Is that right. is that the most extreme situation you've ever performed through impaled by guitar trampoline guy i think i think yeah impaled by uh the neck uh of a broken guitar yeah broken guitar i think that's the worst thing i've seen in a show that's pretty bad it's pretty bad i was that's why i was asking because i i was going to try i couldn't even imagine what would top that i I don't think yeah i've never seen anything worse than that i as a you know i was just starting to do improv and I was having those jobs I talked about in Boston, but I did other weird side gigs like that were sort of in the performing family. I was a street performer that had like my street performer's license and did puppetry. You know, I was, sometimes I would be the person that's like handing you a granola bar, but they're also dressed as a granola bar. Like I've been contracted by the Uh company to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But one thing I did was I worked at dinner theater, a murder mystery dinner theater and one time a guy had a stroke and that because of this experience i know that that is actually the worst thing that can happen at a murder mystery dinner theater is a real medical emergency <gasps> oh because all of the other people that were at this performance 
they were like, this guy is doing an amazing job. Oh. Because, uh, you know, like, because some of the people that are actors are, like, sitting next to you or they're the server or whatever. Like, right. It's, it's all about that, like, immersive experience. And so then right. one guy was, like, choking and falling <laughs> oh, on the no. floor. And people oh, were no. like, this is amazing. And oh, no. Like, no, no, we have to call 911. Like, this is an emergency. Oh, no. Oh, no. I yeah. Know. That's one of those ones. That's one of those ones. That's yeah. really bad. That's it's really bad because bad. yeah, you because it's that a murder mystery thing. So you're just everybody's just like, wow, you know who done it? And it's like his <laughs> no, no, probably his blood pressure. You know, like it's like some like family medical history. I don't know who done it. Somebody. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. Uh, so bad. So it's sad. sad. It's, yeah. Well. I uh, I love you. I wish I could see you, but you know what? I'm glad that we got to catch up at least. Yeah. And I'm I mean, at least we're we're doing good inside, and 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 you know, we'll see each other on the outside sometime. Yeah, and I will also say the opportunity to be real and connect with another comic that feels a lot of the same things that doesn't always happen in days when we no. are zooming. It's really nice doing our regular lives. So thanks for I'm your so time. glad. It's so good to see you. So good to see you. So where can people uh, find you on the socials? I'm Cameron Esposito. I'm Cameron Esposito everywhere, except on TikTok, where I'm Cameron Y. Esposito. I'm on my book that came out the first week of quarantine and is called Save Yourself, which is an apt title so for perfect. an unrelated book. Uh, you can get that anywhere books are sold. Wonderful. Thanks, Margaret. Taking over my dreams, waking me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart. The Margaret Show is an Erios production with editing by Tracy Levy and original music by Garrison Starr. Never miss an episode of The Margaret Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Powered by ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.